0: Your topic could make it onto the talk shop. Just email talk at safm.co.za or tweet at SAFMRadio.
1: It's quarter to eight. You're still on the talk shop. I'm Naledi Molo and you're tuned to SAFM. Um, We're on Twitter at SAFMRadio. Use the hashtag thetalkshop if you'd like to get in touch with us. or share your thoughts on the content that we are bringing. Perhaps you'd like to suggest a discussion that you think we should cover on the show. Um, joined now on the line by Simi Pillay, who's Chief Directorate of Governance and Compliance for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities at the Department of Social Development. Simi, good evening. Welcome to the talk shop. Good evening, Naledi. Yeah, so Simi, the, the Department of Social Development having you know, put together a pilot study, what, what is the study for exactly? What were you looking at? With the aim of reducing economic vulnerability
2: for persons with disabilities, we needed to understand um, the economic cost that's borne by persons with disabilities, which is an additional cost as a result of the disability, but we also needed to look at opportunity costs of disabilities, which meant um, all the opportunities that were lost as a result of a of disability. It also uh, assisted us in looking at a disability equitable budgeting model mm. that can inform budgeting throughout government, to make sure that there's um, inclusive programming, resourcing, and um,
1: implementation of of programs. Yeah, well, what's the backstory though? So, what is the reason for putting together a study like this one? Well, in
2: the interest of mainstreaming disability, uh, we need to make sure that disability rights um, is something that is deeply embedded in all programming, all service delivery in government. We need to move away from uh, separate services for persons with disabilities. It's actually a much more costly model. There will always be disability-specific services, for example, Assistive devices and and certain types of um, health um, health services. Mm. But if you look at education, for example, we have special education that is a model that seeks to isolate well, it doesn't seek to isolate, but it does have the outcome of isolating children as opposed to a much more inclusive um, education system. Mm. So if we look at that kind of model, we see that for uh, the, uh children with disabilities require much more provisioning, for example, a child with uh, um a sight disability will require a Perkins Brailler and a uh, um a braille material resource material. A child who is deaf requires sign language interpreter so there's a certain category of costs that's born um by a learner with a disability that a learner without a disability does not have. Mm. Therefore, the whole budgeting system can't be a one-size-fits-all. It has to take into consideration the individual needs of a child with a disability or a person with a disability in making sure that they're inclusive environments. You will see the same kind of model being applied in the workplace, for example. Mm. Uh, an employee with a disability requires different types of reasonable accommodation that may or may not have cost implications. But this is what needs to be considered in order to make sure that society is fully inclusive um, and and uh, can make sure that
1: pers- the needs of persons with disabilities are, are met. Yeah, you know, I think everyone who's listening might be keen to hear about your recommendations, especially after we saw the Life of City Many saga, um, where uh, civil society organisations working with uh, with or for people with disabilities um, have really coined the term the Marigana of disability in South Africa. That's that life many situation. And in, within your recommendations, you've talked about an improved coordination of health services um, that hold additional potential for addressing economic vulnerability. So let's just unpack that a little bit and how it links back to a solution for and to issues like that life many one. Um, it
2: doesn't make, the study itself doesn't make sense f- specific recommendations for mental health, and that may well be one of its weaknesses. Um, the pilot study was intended to be just a kind of groundbreaker to point in various directions that the, the research would need to deepen. For example, like, like I said before, the recommendations are indicative. It's not representative because of the the focus groups that we used were, were not as, as large as we would have liked. Hmm. But a study like this would be able to inform the Department of Health as to the methodology that can be used in order to to arrive at a more inclusive model for, for uh, mental health even. The issues with mental health would be, um, for example, we have been looking at the possibility of a review of the Mental Health Care Act um so that it aligns itself with the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Um, the the issue there was uh, possibly that in the effort to deinstitutionalize the um, the due process wasn't followed. Hmm. Um, and we would have needed to have a much more consultative process to make sure that all relevant stakeholders were, were on board and so that the process was much more gradual in making it more community-based um, facilities. I don't think at all. I mean, what what uh, the the incident has showed is that we were not ready at all to to deinstitutionalize in the way uh, it happened. Um, mm. That's that's definitely not um, how deinstitutionalization should should have happened at all. Uh, but I think there are efforts currently to make sure that. Um, uh, we find the the remaining um, patients who who had been um, well for stepped down out of the, those facilities and make sure that they they are safe and the the relevant measures are, are put in place to make sure
1: that um, they receive the care that that is required. Yeah, as part of your recommendations, and I'm I'm trying to pack in as much as possible here, Simi. So you'll just you'll just bear with me for a moment because this is a really big report, obviously. Um, as part of your, your your recommendations, you talk about um, care caregivers of children with disabilities requiring interventions and support and able to, in, in in order to enable them to, to provide for their families, and that's an important one. So what led to that recommendation? What are the key findings that led to you making that recommendation? And just maybe unpack that a little bit for us.
2: Yeah. Some of the – one of the most common issues that were raised was around the cost of um caregivers that isn't adequately um, addressed with the care dependency grant the care dependency grant is 1400 and that essentially goes to the, the caregiver but is that the, the amount that should um, that that uh, aptly uh, compensate someone who is not in employment because they they need to take care of a child Mm. or a family member. So there definitely needs to be much more research done on that, because uh, what what we found is the self-care aspect as a type of disability probably is the highest cost in terms of of disabilities. And because it it means that someone is without employment, um, there should be uh, due regard for actual cost of, of living. And uh, we should therefore dig deeper and analyze um what that cost might be in the same way that we look at the disability grant itself. It's also one thousand four hundred mm. I think it's in the region of one thousand four hundred. Mm. If we look at the cost of disability being the cost of care, uh, much more regular visits to the hospital, the you know renovation of, of housing to make it much more accessible, mm. the trans the additional transport costs um uh, and and the fact that there isn't really um, employment readily available for persons with disabilities if we look at the employment equity uh, figures these are all costs that uh, compound um the poverty and inequality of persons with disabilities. Yeah. therefore the social uh, security is currently, being reviewed uh, in line with the findings of the the, the report study. itself, yeah. So that it looks at actual costs that incurred as a result of disability right. and standards of living, and what then needs to be done? Do we increase the grant? Do we subsidize more of the services? Yeah. For
1: example, um, let, let, me subsidi- let, let me do this. Let me do this to me because I need to take a break, and then we're going to continue in a moment, all right? But I. I think we can move on from there. I think that's been, that's been made quite clear. And when those decisions are being made on request, whether or not um, we're subsidizing, we're subsidizing uh, some of these services or, or increasing uh, the grant itself, those issues we'll look at as, as those decisions are being made. But I just want to go through the recommendations that have come out of the study after this. Malefu
3: Molloy is one of thousands of young South Africans whose life changed for the better through the community work program. She works a set number of days teaching in her community, receives a guaranteed income, and is able to take care of her basic needs. To find out more about the CWP, dial 012-334-0600 or 0800 746 747, or visit www.cogta.gov.za. The Community Work Program, restoring dignity through work opportunities, proudly brought to you by the Department of Cooperative Governance. If you're worried about your financial future, thinking about life insurance, saving for retirement, not sure about investing for you and your family, what about your children's education? To answer all your questions, join me, Brian Hirsch, Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock.
0: Great stories told by great personalities. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader.
1: All right, still in conver- conversation with Simi Pillay, Chief Director of Governance and Compliance for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities at the Department of Social Development, looking at a pilot study done by the Department on how disability impacts low-income countries like South Africa. And um, we're looking at some of the the key findings and recommendations that have come out of the the study itself. We'll talk about what happens after, what's now what we expect to be the, 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 the tangible a response that we get to, to to the pilot. If you have questions, you're more than welcome to give me a call, 891 You know, Simi, we need to talk about transport, and I think that's an important one, accessible and affordable transport being obviously a really important area. Um, fortunately, the
2: Department of um, Transport is currently um, embarking on a process of doing a similar type of study with transport so that they can understand um what universal uh, uh t- accessible transport will cost for for South Africa they are also putting in minimum norms and standards for for transport infrastructure to make sure that um, they, uh, the transport is accessible for, for persons with disabilities. So there are progressive strides being made by the Department of Transport as well. Unfortunately, it, uh, transport in urban areas are much more accessible than, than transport in, in rural areas. And yeah. that's something that still needs to be um, addressed. Um and there's also subsidized transport available within urban areas as opposed to, to um, rural areas. And that's definitely a, a gap that needs to be addressed. Hmm.
1: And then there's employment. I mean, we have the Employment Equity Act of 1998. I can't tell you how many times we've talked about um, Employment equity on the show, and, and in fact, we've had discussions with um, private sector and civil society about how business can make their um, working environment more accessible to people with disabilities. And yet, we still struggle in that area. What were some of the findings that you came out of, that you came out with there?
2: In terms of um, employment, there are strategies that are being employed within government uh, from the Department of Public Service and Administration, um, where there's constant tracking every quarter to make sure that um, they're either um, reaching targets or, or in, uh, finding uh, incentives to, to make sure that the targets are... Uh, well, I mean, uh, it, it's not as though it actually has been realized yet, but there are efforts. Um, there is a process of uh, targeting vacancies. As you know, there's a moratorium on, on employment within the, the public sector right now, so mm. we, we can't uh, appoint new uh, personnel. Um, this is to, to manage the, the salary wage bill of government. But wherever possible, positions are being prioritized, the vacancies are being prioritized. It is a huge challenge, we we are finding ways of matching graduates with disabilities, unemployed graduates with disabilities, with the the vacancies that are available, whether mm-hmm. on contract posts or internships, to make sure that there are opportunities for for skills development as well as um, employment. Um, but I think it's it's really going to take much more concerted effort to make it happen. And I and I. And there has been a great deal of of efforts, but for, uh, and I can't, I, I actually can't explain why we're struggling to to meet these targets. In fact, um we've actually set new targets for for 2030. Um, mm. If you look at the white paper on the rights of persons with disabilities, it introduces an equity target of seven percent. Mm. Uh, this is aligned with the prevalence of disability in in the country. And this is up from well, what was it? It was two percent initially, right? It was it was 2%. Um,
1: hmm. but it, and we we're struggling to meet to that. Yeah. Sorry? yeah, and we're struggling to meet that. Listen, I need to go into the news. Yeah. Please stay with us, Simi, because there's a lot more to discuss here. Um, and, and I hope that you, you, you're you keen to call in with questions as well if you're listening. Oh eight nine We'll continue talking about this pilot study by the Department of Social Development on uh, disability and how it impacts low-income countries after the news. It's 8 o'clock. Chat, converse, rant, rave,
3: whatever you call it, do it on the talk shop. Only on S A F M.
1: Right, it's five minutes after eight. You're still on the talk shop on S A F M. In a moment, I'll speak to Rakesh Wahi, who is an entrepreneur and an investor with 25 years' experience in emerging markets investments. If have questions and you are an entrepreneur, give me a call, 891 104 That will do after 10 past. For now, though, still speaking to Simi Pele, Chief Directorate of Governance and Compliance for the Rights of Persons with Disability at the Department of Social Development, looking at this pilot study that they've just recently released. And, you know, before we went into the news there, Simi, we talked a bit about... um you know, what What really needs to be explored in terms of extending support for caregivers, especially of children with disabilities. And what we haven't talked about is sustain- self-sustainability and how we get to that point. I mean, we can't look at Social Security as a way, as a solution all the time, and um that's not sustainable. So where do we find the link between Social Security, so that's disability grants, and um income generation for persons with disabilities in South Africa?
2: i think it's important for economic empowerment programs whether it's entrepreneurial or whether it's you know any job creation programs to be as inclusive as, as possible this includes the extended uh, expanded public works program and so on and even in those types of programs we've found that um Targeting persons with disabilities and making sure that it's uh, inclusive has been uh, quite a challenge. But in having said that, it's it's clear that entrepreneurial um, opportunities has not really fully been explored mm. in terms of making sure that persons with disabilities um, explore that as an avenue as well. Because I mean, I I think for uh the job market um it, there's always going to be a ceiling whereas there's, there's, we need to explore possibilities of creating um economic empowerment uh, and, and self employment hmm. um for, for persons with disabilities.
1: Right we we have a caller. Lucky is on the line in Durban. Lucky, good evening. Thanks for calling.
4: Hi Maladine, how are you? I'm
1: well, Dada. how are you? I'm
4: okay. I'm hmm. okay.
1: Hmm.
4: Yeah, uh, you see, the question of uh, self-sustainability can be solved through uh, private sector as well as uh, government Mm. employing people with disabilities, especially, uh, you know, Naledi, that they have to be two percent right across. And if you look at... Many companies and government departments, they, even less, they are even less than 1%. Mm. So that it's like they are shooting themselves in their own food. Because if you uh, give them skills and give them jobs, you relieve them from the social security where they, they are able to do their work on their own yeah. without expecting money from the government. So... The private sector as well as the government should run their sleeves in order to ensure that they employ and empower people with disabilities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling. And you talk about that 2% target. And in fact, uh, Simi talking about how it's been pushed up to, or it will be pushed up to 7%. And yet we're struggling to meet that 2% target. But, you know, quite often when we talk about self sustainability, we also need to talk about entrepreneurship. But you wanted to say something, Simi? Yeah, yeah. I think you know one of the issues you will find with
2: the non-compliance of the two percent target is the stigmatization around disclosing disability, mm. and in mm. um, the uh, in public service, one needs to disclose it. Uh, you can't. Identify someone with a disability simply by looking at someone and, you know, um, and marking it down as an HR practitioner. It's all based on self-disclosure. But there's a lot of stigmatization, um, for fear of being marginalized. Yeah. What Kauting had shown is there was a point where I think Ting was the lowest compliance of all the provinces. Mm-hmm. And after they went on a road show throughout the province, uh, for the benefits, to show people the benefits of, of disclosing, um, reasonable accommodation—that—that's um, one of the benefits of disclosing. They managed to uh, reach. I think they they exceeded the target. It was even three percent at the point, hmm. and it was all people who are, are already employed by public service who were just more encouraged. To um, disclose their disability, mm. so that they understood that there was reasonable accommodation tied in with it. And I think the more we advocate for benefits that are um, linked to disclosing, um,
1: the the higher the the compliance will will be. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's a good point, So It's on the line in the Free State. You're going to be our last call on this discussion. Good evening. Good evening, So. How are you?
3: I'm fine with you.
1: Mm, I'm great.
3: Uh, you know what? what uh, <clears throat> uh, i like to say something like uh, myself. It's really difficult to, to live with disability, especially at this moment when the economy is so low.
0: Mm.
3: For instance, you can go, we will go to, to school to, better, to, better, to, to get the qualifications, and mm. then you we'll get the, the qualifications like myself. I did get my, my qualifications. But the problem is I'm not very patient. So each time I, ask, I try to send my CVs there. Then they will never come back to me because I'm a blank. Or they will tell you that it's the first time you see a person who's blind like me. So it's very really difficult for us, especially if you are a blind person, to get a job. Yeah. And so I don't know what we do, because we will tell you that there's no resources, there's no, there are no devices, and then, and then I don't know, because Well, I think they will not be on our show, so I don't know because we also get the, the qualifications like other people get their qualifications. And I don't know what's the problem with the blank people, to employ the blind people.
1: Yeah, you see, and, and this is this is a discussion we actually need to take forward in the future, City. So thanks for calling. Um, at some point, we need to talk about. You know, we just had this discussion on the ombuds uh, for for community um schemes. Now, if you are a disabled person and you and you've been denied a job simply because of your disability, we need to talk about where you can go to get some sort of resolve for that complaint. Uh, but Simi, I, I need to wrap this up. You can respond to uh or point also, but let's let's talk about how we get our hands on this report because I think we should all employers, civil society, public sector, all get our hands on it. The report is available
2: on our website, uh, www.dsd.gov.za.
1: Okay, dsd.gov.za. Simi Pillay, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking. And Thank you, Naledi. Great stuff. Simi Pillay is Chief Sorry. Director of Governance and Compliance for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities at the Department of
0: Social Development.